Welcome everyone to Idiots with Idioms, the podcast about figurative language from all over the world. I'm your co-host, Ethan, joined as always by my partner in idiocy, Marcello. And Marcello, to kick things off this week, you were going to talk about our idiom of the week. The idiom of the week is a piece of cake. We found out that the history of this idiom is not really certain. One of the genesis that we found is that this idiom could come from a, a practice that was uh, used among slaves in the United States in the 1870s. Specifically, slaves would participate in cakewalks, where couples dance in a competition and they receive a piece of cake as a, as a prize. This explanation is somewhat dubious, though. In fact, according to the American Heritage Dictionary, this idiom is British. This expression would be used by the Royal Air Force in the late 1930s to address an easy mission. However, the association between cake and easy may be considerably older. According to the Grammar Phobia blog, this expression was used already as a, you can have your cake and it too back in the 16th century. Every week we're going to publish a new idiom on our social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. That's right. And actually an interesting thing about this idiom is while I was researching it, um, I did some asking around here in Brussels and I learned that this idiom, there's also in other European languages, there's an association between cake and something really easy. So a piece of cake, of course, in English means something that's really easy to do. But in French, there's also an association between, okay, so a cake is something easy, easy to swallow, easy to grapple with. But still, I was not able to find anything certain about the origin of the expression. And it's surprising to me because typically idioms, especially an idiom like a piece of cake that in English is used with such frequency, often you can find uh, a first time it entered the lexicon or a first time it became came into existence or, or we, we started using it figuratively and I wasn't able to. Although, of course, a piece of cake, we do know when it first appeared in print for the first time, which is it appeared in um, Primrose Path, which is a book of free verse poetry by Ogden Nast, but we don't know exactly where it, where it originated outside of print. Anyway, I also have a little uh, bonus idiom for this week before we get into the main show. This idiom is a can of corn. So a can of corn is an idiom that's used in baseball, uh, which means a really easy catch. And I thought you hear people say this idiom all the time in baseball where someone has an easy catch and they say, okay, that ball's hit to the left fielder. Uh, it's a can of corn, which means he makes the catch very easily. I thought, where could this come from? I mean, what does a can of corn have to do with making a catch? And what I learned is in the early 1900s, when you went to a grocery store, uh, especially in a city where there wasn't a lot of room, when you went to a grocery store to buy a canned vegetable, the canned vegetables were up on the high shelves, higher than anyone could reach. And so you would say to the grocer, hey, I would like a can of a vegetable, whether it be corn or carrots or spinach or whatever. And the grocer would go and he would have this long stick with a hook at the end and he would knock the can off the shelf and then catch it in his apron. And the corn was the most popular vegetable. So it was on the lowest of these shelves. So the easiest catch was a can of corn. So an easy catch became known as a can of corn. So in Hindi, 
to indicate something is easy also has to do with a little bit of catching and playing so the hindi phrase for the equivalent of a piece of cake or a can of corn would be by hath ka khel which means a play by your left hand because the majority of the population in india as everywhere in the world is right handed so to say that you could do something with your left hand means that this is something that's so easy that you don't even need your dominant hand to do it i don't know if people in baseball could make these catches with their left hand but now i don't really have a good segue for that our guest today is spriha uh who is from india and as you probably guessed the language that we'll cover in today's show is hindi I have a question about this left hand right hand situation. In uh much of the western world there was a period where people tried to like get rid of left handedness. Do you know if that was a thing in India as well where they would try and teach everyone to write with their right hand and, and Yeah, I I mean I don't know the historical context necessarily, but I'm sure this was a thing based on anecdotal evidence. So for example, the left handed batsmen are rarer I think and uh Sarv Ganguly who is the skipper of the Indian team for a long Indian cricket team for a long time is actually left-handed but plays with his right hand because he used to use his brother's kit and that was right-handed as most kits were but interestingly in Indian mythology there is some sort of valorization for being ambidextrous and using both hands and uh, one of the greatest heroes in Indian mythology Arjun is known by one of his names as the ambidextrous one and that's something that's considered amazing and that he he could shoot arrows from both hands and write with both hands and that sort of thing but i'm sure like the left-handed association with being sinister and not being right is something that must have been the case in india as well especially since this idiom reveals that we do think of the left hand as one that is kind of useless so if you could do something with your left hand it must be child's play Let's talk about Hindi. So, let's do it. Me hun- hundreds of millions of people are already. Oh, um <laughs> Hindi is spoken predominantly in India, but it's one of many languages spoken in India. We we got them all, really. We have a few official languages in which English and Hindi predominate, but then there's a bunch of languages that still have official status. I think definitely more than a dozen and there's hundreds and perhaps even thousands of languages in india if you consider dialects but hindi does have somewhat of a hegemonic position that's even that's got an even stronger right now with uh, the hindu right wing party the bjp coming into power and they're really pushing the hindi mission even more but for a long time hindi has been one of the dominant languages of india and its dominance has been a source of conflict as well so specifically when we talk about hindi in the indian context and in the context of modern hindi hegemony in india we're talking about modern standard hindi correct yeah we're talking about hindi written in the devanagari script but like most like a lot of languages this hindi spoken differently in different parts of india it's spoken primarily in north india but there is a part of north india that speaks a purer hindi so for example when i speak hindi colloquially with my friends or my parents i actually am not conjugating number properly and that's something that if i speak to someone who speaks the correct form of hindi they would probably make fun of me for that So in in Calcutta because we which is where I'm from because we're so used to Bengali as well we we do mess up our Hindi pretty often and then somewhere in Uttar Pradesh for example a more pure version of Hindi is spoken which is often actually mixed in with a lot of Urdu which is spoken there right and so to to give a little historical background 
Hindi in, in modern standard Hindi largely originated in the Delhi area and the surrounding areas of India, or it's traced back largely to there. And sometimes modern standard Hindi and modern standard Urdu, as since they are uh, mutually intelligible, are treated as two dialects of one language called Hindustani. And if you treat them as one language, they are the third most spoken language in the world, behind only Mandarin Chinese and English. I would say though that they are mutually intelligible and people often, though there's often a great hatred in India for Pakistan and in Islamophobia and Urdu primarily now being spoken only in Pakistan, people use Urdu words in Hindi all the time without realizing it's, it's something that most people can still process. And a lot of our idioms particularly because they are from the 15th, 16th, some of these are from the 15th, 16th century, use a lot of Urdu words. And so despite the enmity between these countries, there is something to be said about these languages being incredibly similar. So we have a specific theme of today's idioms in Hindi. Um, and Spriha, would you mind uh, introducing this theme for us? Yeah, sure. So when I was invited on the show, I began thinking of some of the idioms I could bring on that would perhaps be emblematic of India or Indian culture in some way. And I realized this is a bit of a hard task because we have so many idioms that say the opposite things and are essentially contradictions of each other. And maybe this means that in different contexts, different pieces of knowledge, different applications of knowledge apply. But so today I thought I would lead you through some of these pairs or even triads of contradictions that I could come up with that are commonly used in India. Great, great. So the first contradictory or paradoxical uh, idiom that you wrote down, would you mind reading it for us? Sure. So the first one is, Akela chana bhand nahi for sakta. What this translates to is, a single chickpea cannot break the pot. This is something that I don't use that often myself. And I had a long argument with my parents who provided me with this idiom because I did not understand a situation where any amounts of chickpeas could break apart. But apparently we're dealing with pretty shitty pots in this situation, unglazed, very common in India for water and whatnot. And so the idea is a single chickpea can't do any damage. But if you put a lot of chickpeas into a pot and you shake them around, that could apparently break a pot. So beware of pot buying in India. I guess a, a raw chickpea is kind of hard, but not super hard. It's, but like, it's, How bad is this pot? Yeah, it's a garbage pot. It's a garbage pot. Do not buy a pot in India. But the idea to be communicated here is that, you know, a single man can't move a mountain. You can't really accomplish anything on your own. And if you if you really wanted to glean something cultural from this, you could say like, oh, you know, India is a collective society and we believe that you need to come together as a society to do anything and to achieve anything. But what I have coming up for you next might contradict this idea. So first I want to ask, is is the goal to break the pot? Why do we want to break the pot? I guess it's a it's it's like a bad pot because it breaks so easily, so you just, just want to get it done with. Uh, it's very confusing. Though. It's it's very confusing too. I, I don't know what the origins of it is. I don't know. It kind of reminded me of the story about the crow who wants to get a drink of water and then there's water inside a pot. Do you guys know this story? Is this an Indian fable? I don't know this story. Okay. So this fable in this case is that 
there's a pot of water in on a hot sunny Calcutta day, but there's just a little bit of water and the the crow can't get all the way into this pot. And it seems like this pot is perhaps decent enough quality that he can't just throw a piece of chickpea in there. And so what this crow does is drop more and more stones into the pot and that makes the water level rise and the crow can finally parch its thirst. So it kind of reminded me of this kind of pot stone situation as well. And I guess it's like, if you get enough stuff together into a pot, you can do things and make things happen. Interesting. Well, I was doing a little research on this and I found another idiom on the internet. So take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> but I found another idiom that said was bund bund sagar banta hai. That very good pronunciation. Thank you. So it's, it means drop by drop the ocean is made. Yeah. Which seems to be along the same lines here. Yeah, exactly. It's the same sentiment that, you know, you can only do things collectively. And and also it's 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 twofold, I think, that one is that you can only achieve things if you do it together. It takes a village to raise a child. But also that you shouldn't discount the importance of small things. You know, a small contribution is still useful. That you should value these smaller things as well. It's not just about collectiveness. Okay, and then there's an idiom that contradicts this. This that completely throws this collectiveness theory out of the window, which is ek machli talab ganda kar sakti hai, which is a single fish can dirty the lake. And again, little bit confused as to how this is possible. It, it's, how small is this lake? Is it an aquarium? A single fish is just pooping all over the place? I, I'm not sure how the fish is dirtying the lake, but the general sentiment here is supposed to be that one bad influence can destroy everything, which is really in direct um, dissonance with the previous one, which is like, you know, one person can't do anything of their own. However, if I think about it more, I think maybe there's a way to resolve this contradiction, which is if it's something good, maybe you need a lot of people, but to do something bad, a single one is enough. That makes sense to me. If everyone works together and everyone contributes to the collective cause, it can be productive and it can be sufficient. But if even one person doesn't contribute, it's enough to ruin the entire the entire effort. Yeah. Right? And this actually reminded me of something, not exactly an idiom, but something from current affairs, where if you recall a few years earlier, Donald Trump Jr. had this awful metaphor of a bowl of Skittles and how letting refugees into America was akin to having this bowl of Skittles. And then even if one refugee turns out to be dangerous in some form, it poisons the entire bowl of Skittles. And his metaphor was that, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't eat this bowl of Skittles if you know even one of them could be poisonous. And this was rubbished by many people, including the Skittles company themselves, who were like, please, please, please stay out of our Skittles. But I, I think that this idea of like a single influence destroying everything is used politically quite often as well to to keep refugees out and to, to stop immigration and for other sorts of ends. We have the same thing in Italian. We say to be a rotten apple, which is somebody in a group who has a really bad influence Actually, I don't know if a rotten apple is going to make the other apples rot. So if there is actually something in reality or if it's just a, a matter of a, a figure of speech. Right. Just don't eat the rotten one yet. <laughs> yeah, we uh, have that phrase in English too. I mean, I think it's actually, you bring up a good point, which is that like there's really this this commonly held mindset among people that one bad one bad apple, one bad anything can ruin the entire lot. And in reality, it kind of plays into this precautionary, often discriminatory idea that like we should not let people in 
We should not eat a eat a bowl of Skittles. We should not do things at the risk of there being one bad entity among those things. It's interesting. And then also in English, we have the idiom, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Which is kind of, which it definitely cuts the other way, right? Where it says, just because there's something bad in the lot doesn't mean you should throw out the entire thing. Yeah, I, and I think the, the Skittle example is perhaps revealed also why this kind of show is important, maybe? This kind of podcast, I mean, because it shows the power of metaphors, especially in political campaigning and political language where this sort of metaphor can, can really speak to people in a way that dry rhetoric can't. I thought of the English idiom, too many cooks spoil the broth. And that takes this contradiction one level further, where it's like, one person can't do anything. Oh, wait, one person can spoil everything. But then there's also the idea that too many people being part of something can also spoil something. And there is a Hindi version of this that I, I looked up. I haven't personally used it a, a lot, but it's Jaha Panch Mali, Vaha Bagia Khali, which means where there are five gardeners, the garden is going to be empty because nothing's going to be done. Which to me makes more sense than the broth because I don't know how you spoil a broth personally, but a garden, there's many ways to spoil. There isn't really one conventional idea about how many people should be on something. People use these metaphors for their ends to prove the point they are making, but there isn't one right way of thinking about these things because all three of these metaphors are used commonly. And not just in Hindi, but versions of these, I'm sure, circulate in different languages too. Speaking about contradictions, Spriya, you prepared another set of idioms for us. Yes, I might have gone off format a little bit because these are kind of long and they're they're known as muhav. They're not known as muhavre, which is what proverbs are, which is what I had for you before. But these ones are doha, which is means couplet because these are two sentences. So the first one, this is by Kabir, is kal kare so aaj kar. Aaj kare so ab, palme prale hoegi, bahuri kare gakab. So what this means is, instead of tomorrow, do it today. Then instead of today, do it right now. Because apocalypse or a disaster can happen any second. And then when will you do this thing? So a little bit of context here. This Doha, so this form of writing is developed by these mystic poets in the 15th century. So this one's by Kabir. We also have a lot by another guy known as Rahim. And this was a period kind of like the Reformation, but for Hinduism. And so these were people who were considered both Hindu and Muslim and sometimes Sikh as well. So this guy's poems are included in the Guru Granth Sahib, which is the Sikh's holy book as well. And he's part of the Bhakti movement. So this this is a kind of a couplet that straddles various religious divisions, uses various kinds of Hindi and Urdu words, as well as local languages from then that are no longer spoken. We had to learn pages of these every year for school. We had to learn these dohe and then know the meanings of every word because a lot of these words aren't known now. And I used to hate them. So it says apocalypse can happen in a second or a disaster can happen in a second. Is there any kind of religious connotation to that? Like a like a religious apocalypse or just like a run-of-the-mill disaster? So uh, I think the word prale that's used here, 
it means apocalypse normally and there is a very similar religious uh, apocalypse in hinduism like in christianity and other religions where we're already the age where the apocalypse is supposed to happen but i think in this case it's meant to be more a disaster also because i think if apocalypse was happening you wouldn't care about whatever task this was you needed to clean your room doesn't matter it's apocalypse time now so i think here they just mean a disaster could happen and then you're not able to do the thing you wanted to do and it's supposed to communicate this value of like karmatta or you know work horseness almost that you know you should be hard working and you should keep your nose to the ground and you should do your work and you shouldn't be luxurious which was part of again like this reformationist movement in hinduism okay and you have another idiom that contradicts yeah. this yeah so i have a couplet and this is not i don't know who this is by it's something that my mom had told me when i initially had to study these uh, couplets and i'd come to with her with help for them and it's it's kind of a joke response to this couplet and it goes this way aaj kare so kal kar kal kare so parso itni jaldi kya hai pyare jeena to hai barso so this means instead of today do it tomorrow instead of tomorrow do it the day after what's the hurry buddy we've got years to live so it's really the opposite sentiment an interesting thing to note that makes uh, this kind of contradiction work so well if you know the hindi is that in hindi the word for tomorrow and yesterday is the same so the word is kal here it's it's called kal which is an older version so which is why it works because he's still saying instead of kal do it some other time in both situations is this also a 15th century couplet or is this I, uh... i highly doubt it because it uses a lot of colloquial language like i i use the word buddy which i think is a pretty appropriate translation of the word pyare pyar means love but pyare is just like a kind of like a buddy version of that so i i don't think this is a contradiction in the way the previous one was because i don't think people actually have this sentiment the second one but it's just something that people respond to with humorously when they're told the first one in any situation where they're like no you should do this thing and they're like no that's fine we got we got yours to do this are there other times where you have these kind of over dramatic old couplets and then other people have kind of satirical responses yeah so i uh, i'm not so familiar with them but there's this whole culture of uh, it's called hasya kavis it kind of means comedian poets I don't know how popular they are anymore but back back in the day they they used to be and by back in the day I mean like 10 years ago even they used to like go and instead of stand up comedy shows they would perform their funny poetry and the funny poetry would be in the vein of what the second couplet was which is just them taking older notions and still doing something that is poetic that is something that's considered maybe not high art but medium art and performing these and nowadays these live on as whatsapp forwards Actually we have an expression in Italian which is non rimandare a domani quello che potresti fare oggi. I thought it was an Italian expression but I've just found out that it is actually a quote by Benjamin Franklin. That's really interesting to me because I feel like the provenance of idioms and this sort of language is something that you are focusing so much uh, on in your podcast but it's so confused and it's so hard for people to lay claims to it. and i'm sure all of this stuff is going to be so contested now and because children in pakistan probably learn about these couplets as well and they probably claim them maybe they claim kabir to be someone pakistani and 
and so much of this language is very confused and comes from the same place. So there are no geographical boundaries. Right. And in this case, I mean, specifically, we're talking about kind of this wisdom literature, which, I mean, people have been writing these axioms, right? These, like, do it today instead of do it tomorrow, right? It's not nothing groundbreaking, right? And people have been writing these axioms like this, I mean, as long as we've had written language, we can find people set, telling other people what to do. is a particularly interesting case, though, because his when he died, his body was claimed by both Hindus and Muslims. And they were both like, we want to do what we do to our dead to him, which in Hinduism is burn, uh, cremate the body, and in uh, Islam is bury them. And uh, the story goes that, you know, he, he was wise even in his death. So apparently, as this fight was going on, his body turned into two flowers, one of which was given to the Muslims and one of which to the Hindus. Interesting. Yeah. With Ben Franklin, that did not happen. Um, did, didn't he just get electrocuted? Yeah. Think, he was flying a kite in the, in the I'm rain. I'm pretty sure that's how it happened. <laughs> I think what's what we get, can gather from looking at this, from framing this in terms of contradictory bits of these wisdom axioms or contradictory bits of these little catchphrases is that often we say something that doesn't really make sense a lot at all but if we put it in a poetic language and use some figurative language people just accept it as oh yeah of course of course no skittles like of course right exactly it's a skittle thing's a great example where it's where it's like well i mean one dirty fish can ruin the lake so of course we shouldn't let let in refugees right the argument makes no sense, but because we've used figurative language with it, it clicks more for people and is more persuasive to people. We have one last set of contradictory idioms. Yeah, so the, this one, I guess, gets a little bit more literal, and we get into the magical world of buffaloes. So the first one is... Jiski lati uski bhes. This means the one with the stick owns the buffalo. The general idea is like is the English version of this would be might is right. So if you if you are mighty, you can get your way, right? Even if it's not your buffalo, you can make it be your buffalo because you're the one who has a stick. Not a great weapon to bring to a gunfight, but good enough to claim a buffalo. The opposite one here, still including a, a buffalo, but with a different meaning is. Akal badi ya bhes, which is what is bigger, your mind or your buffalo? The, this one's hard to parse literally, but the idea, especially since it poses a question, but the general idea is brain over brawn that, you know, a buffalo in this case indicates the strength, which in the previous idiom was being used over it to say that even though this buffalo is kind of a big thing, it only represents brawn and it's actually akal or your mind or your intelligence, which is more important than buffalo brute strength. And I think it poses a que- as a rhetorical question when someone's trying to do something like, hey, what do you think is bigger? You know, like, let's do this the right way. Since both of these are about buffalo, does buffalo have a specific cultural importance? I think a lot of idioms are with the stuff you see every day. Some of the idioms we went into previously were perhaps more, the last set was more metaphorical, but the first set was like, it was about chickpeas because there's a lot of people eat a lot of chickpeas in India. There's Mm -hmm. fish because there's fish in lakes. But uh, one of the other sets of idioms I submitted to the group was I think like six idioms just about lentils that I didn't even have to ask anyone about because it's just that 
lentils are such a common food in India and something that people encounter every day that they make idioms about it. I think the similar situation for buffaloes, I can think of another one right off the bat, which is Kala Akshar Bhais Barabar, which is a letter is equivalent to a buffalo, which refers to someone illiterate in kind of like a goofy way that, you know, to them, a notation or a letter is the same as a buffalo because they can't tell the difference. So it's just something that people saw in their everyday lives, I imagine, because India is also such an agricultural country and uh, that they base their idioms around it. So, I mean, this made me think of an expression that was used in ancient Rome in a very specific context, but it was, but the expression, uh, why do you read laws to those of us that have swords, right? Like, for reference to the first idiom you brought up, which is about, which, which is equates to might is right, right? So if you have some power on your side, some physical power, you can overcome a lot, a lot of obstacles. Yeah, actually, that reminds me of uh, another idiom about swords that's uh, interesting, which is that sui ka kam, talwar nahi kar sakti, talwar is a sword, which is a sword can't do the work of a needle, right? So it's kind of, so I don't know, there's almost like a chain of idioms to be found here, which is like, a sword is very important, might is very important, but might can't get stuff done the way a sui can, the way something small can, which almost, again, maybe equates back to intelligence or equates like to almost a David and Goliath situation where everything has its place. So I think today's discussion about contradictory idioms in Hindi uh, actually reveals something interesting about idioms in general, which is that when language is used figuratively or poetically, something that is actually a complete assertion without much evidence can be used to to make something seem obvious. So when we say something like one one rotten fish can can spoil the lake, it actually doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it, but when it's used in a way and, and said in a snappy way, it sounds like something that actually makes sense. So I think it's something to be conscious of, and it's used in all sorts of contexts. Of course, we talked about how it was used in Donald Trump Jr.'s tweet, where he actually put a picture up that said, if I had a bowl of Skittles and I told you just three would kill you, would you take a handful? That's our Syrian refugee problem. And even though the, the point doesn't really make much sense by using it in as far as by using analogy and by using these rhetor rhetorical tricks, it makes it sound like something that seems true. And we see it as well in advertising quite a bit and in other contexts as well. So anyway, thank you very much for joining us on another episode of Idiots with Idioms. As always, I am Ethan, joined by my co-host, Marcello, and today our guest, Spriha. Thank you very much. Every next month, we'll have a new podcast ready for you. In the meantime, you can check out our social media for our Idioms of the Week and for other interesting idiom content. Podcast with my friends. Just 